Hi, my name's Paul Grogan and welcome to episode 38 of the all new Gaming Rules podcast. This episode is an audio version of the live Q&A that went out in January 2023. A big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. And if you want to support the channel, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. And now on with the show. Uh, I press the right button. I press the right button. Good evening, everybody. Thank you very much for joining me and welcome to the first live Q&A of 2023, January's uh, live Q&A. And as I mentioned in the latest video log, which you haven't seen it, feel free to go and watch it. It's a long one, but as I mentioned in that video log, we're moving the Q&A. So instead of the them being the last Wednesday of the month, they're going to be around the middle of the month from now on. That's because I'm moving the video logs to the end of the month. So I kind of want to bring the, uh, the Q&As forward. So yeah, so next Q&A will be the middle of February. Anyway, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, and yeah, the format of this is going to be almost the same as the last ones. I say almost the same. It's going to be exactly the same. So I'm first of all going to go through all of the questions that I've been asked in advance from the BGG Guild. Uh, then we're going to switch to the live questions. So if you have any questions for me uh, and you want to ask them now, then they just start the start the um, start your comment uh, in the chat with the word question, uh, and Vicky will pick that up. She'll add them onto a list, and then we'll 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 go through it. We've also got the contest, and I will announce the winner of last month's contest, and then we'll talk about this month's contest, which is going to be slightly different. So. Uh, thank you very much to everybody uh, who engages with the threads on BoardGameGeek. There is a guild on BoardGameGeek. If you're watching this video and you are not a member of the guild on BoardGameGeek, please feel free to join in. Uh, there isn't much traffic there, so don't worry, you're not going to get bombarded with uh, lots of notifications. But it's guild number 2258. Vicky will put a link in the chat now. Uh, oh yeah, the chat isn't on screen. I need to fix that. Right, thank you. <laughs> uh, I just realized because... It was uh, it was all set up for the last thing that I did. Where's the chat gone? There. Now that's not right. Chat box for Q and A. Hmm. Yeah, the chat doesn't seem to be working, does it? There it is. The chat's working. I do need to change the size though. Thank you very much for spotting that. Um, let me just change the size. No, that's not right. Do it that way. Won't take me long to fix it. <laughs> uh, that's about right. That that will do for now. Uh, and let's just put that there. So there we go. Right. The chat is now on screen. Thank you very much for spotting that. Um, so what was I saying? What was I saying? What was I saying? I was saying something about something. No idea. Completely lost my train of thought. Anyway, let's go to the questions from the guild. Oh yeah, Vicky's going to put a link to the guild. Uh, feel free to join the guild, but don't just join it. You need to click the subscribe button as well. If you don't click the subscribe button, you won't see anything that's going on on the guild. Um, and there's the occasional conversation there. And once a month, I post a thread on there asking for questions in advance. And that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to go through the questions in advance that I've been asked. So the first one is from Wade. Uh, and he says he's got a relative who is playing with the idea of creating inceptions for board games that already exist. For example, she's taken an old game of Candyland. Uh, we don't have Candyland in the UK. It's an American thing, but I know all about it. Uh, designs a new rule set and a few add-on components and plays a completely different game. As a long-time gamer, what are my thoughts on this? So there's a similar thing that has happened at some UK conventions that I've been to over the years where they run a contest where people split into groups and they get given an old-style game and they've got to design a game based on the components they're given. 
so it sounds like a really interesting idea and I know people that have been involved in this. It's not something I would personally be any good at and I don't think I could do, but it, it, it's a good idea. I mean, if anything that uses people's minds in a creative way, uh, I, I, I think is a good idea. So if they're able to take a game of Candyland or even Monopoly or something like that and, and actually design a new game using the same components, then great, you know. Um, yeah, not something I do, but I'm always, um, yeah, I'm always impressed by the people who can do that sort of thing. Right, next question is from Brian. Uh, if I was paid a princely sum to rewrite any one dodgy rulebook of your choice, which game would I choose and why? And I think this is going to be the first question that's going to go over to the guild. So Chrissy, who is watching this live, if you could transfer this to a question on the guild, I'd like to open this question to everybody else on the guild. And the question is from Brian. So this thread will appear on the guild in probably a few minutes time. It's um, if money was no objective, which rule book out that's out there for a game would you want to see me rewrite? I have my own thoughts on it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what other people think. Um, so yeah, that, that's going to be a thread on the guild. And if you want to take part in that conversation, head over to the guild in about five or ten minutes time or at the end of this video and uh, and you can take part in it. One of the games that springs to mind for me is a very old game called Magic Realm. And Magic Realm had an almost indecipherable rulebook and it's a massively heavy, complex game. And it came out, I think, in the 70s or 80s. And it's your old style Avalon Hill, walls of text, just, you know, no examples and awful. Um, so yeah, so something like Magic Realm would be a challenge, uh, would be a massive, massive challenge. And it, it really wouldn't be worth it because a handful of people around the world would probably appreciate it. Um, a game like that's never going to get made again. In fact, a lot of people said Mage Knight was sort of the closest thing we've got to Magic Realm. Anyway, that's the one I'd pick. But as I say, the thread on BGG, we'll find out what other people want. Uh, and if you don't want to take part in the thread on BGG, but you're watching this video back afterwards, feel free to leave me a comment. Leave me a comment in the uh, in the video and let me know what rulebook you want me to rewrite. Next game, next question from Brian is, what game do I think would benefit from an expansion and why? This could be for any reason, i.e. taking them from very good to great, extending the replayability, etc. I really should have thought about this one beforehand. What game do I think would most benefit from an expansion? I mean, I can't say Star Wars Outer Rim, um, because for three years we were waiting for an expansion for that game, and we've now finally had an expansion for that game. Um, so yeah, so I can't say Star Wars Outer Rim, but I, I might have to come back to this one later on. Um, rather than put this one on the guild, let me know in the chat. Let me know what you think if you're watching this video live or if you're watching this video afterwards. What game do you think would most benefit from an expansion? I mean, I'm trying to think right now of the ones that I've been playing recently. Um, and I'm trying to think which ones of those would benefit from an expansion. Bearing in mind, some of those have probably got expansions already in development for them. Uh, let's have a look around the room. I mean, the obvious one is Heat, but it's pretty obvious that that is going to get an expansion soon um, because the, the base game of Heat comes with spaces for eight player tokens in the box uh, and there's only six of them. So I'm, I'm pretty sure they've got a seven to eight player expansion coming out for Heat next year, I, I would have thought. Um, Brian also asks, ranking my games collection on PubMeeple was a bit of a marathon. Yes, it was a 12 hour show in the end, split into three parts. If I could rank all of the biscuits that I have tried on a similar type of site, now, he's mentioned a couple of websites. I don't know whether these websites are real. Cafecruncher.com, 
and biscuitmunchinggeek.com. How long would it take for me to rate all of the biscuits? Well, it certainly wouldn't take 12 hours um, because I, I, I mean, the problem was that I rated 620 games um, all against each other. <coughs> so if I was to enter all of the different types of biscuits into something like that, it probably would only take about an hour. Um, have I managed to try the new Galaxy Milk Chocolate Orange Digestive Biscuits? I haven't. I didn't know they existed. Uh, <laughs> I think Brian just thinks I eat biscuits all day long. Um, so yeah, Galaxy Milk Chocolate Orange Digestive Biscuits. I'll try and get some of them. Although we are trying to eat healthier. Um, so yeah. Right, next question from Dan. Um, now, again, going back to the Guild on BGG, there is a, a discussion thread recently because... I have a number of house rules that I have. I, I've got a number of house rules that I use for a number of different games. And I've got a thread which you can, uh, it's, it's a geek list and you can get to it and you can find out all of my different house rules that I use for different games. And there's a discussion of it going on on the guild. And Dan has read through the thread and he says, he's noticed that a lot of my house rules involve making games less random, bringing the randomness earlier in the game so you're not surprised by it halfway through the game, or making a decision later in the game so that you're less affected by the randomness. Yeah, I clearly don't dislike randomness itself, considering all of the card-based games that I play, where I don't know what cards will be drawn. And he's asking, where do I draw the line on such things? So yeah, in summary, there are a few things where I like to do house rules to tweak the game more, so, so it's a little bit more strategic and reduce the random element. And I do that in, in a few ways. And one of the ways is that I don't generally like the extremes happening. So to some people, when an extreme situation happens, they find that fun and exciting, right? For me, I don't find that fun and exciting. I don't want like, you know, no matter how well you play the game, oh, somebody's just rolled three sixes and they win because they roll three sixes. Well, that, that's not a good game, right? If you have a game where the core mechanism is rolling three dice, and then doing something with those dice. But there is a global rule that says any time a player rolls three sixes, they win the game immediately. And any time a player rolls three ones, they are ejected from the game. Let's just say, for example, that's the rule. That's an awful, awful rule. And whilst none of us would ever play a game with that rule, there are certain games that I play where when these extremes happen, they kind of have the effect of giving that player either a massive advantage or a massive disadvantage. So what I like to do with some of my house rules is I like to bring the averages in together so that the extremes don't happen as much. Um, yeah, and I also don't like, you know, end of game scoring cards being revealed halfway through the game. I want the end of game scoring cards to be revealed at the start of the game so that I can make meaningful decisions rather than just randomly find out halfway through the game, oh, that player just happened to be pursuing the right strategy for the end game scoring card, and this player hasn't, which is just random, and that's not that's not right. Um, but yeah, Dan makes a very good point. I do play a lot of card games, so where do I draw the line on such things? Um, I don't actually have a line, and I've never really thought about this, but I know what I like and I know what I don't like, and whilst I do like reducing some level of randomness, there's no way that I could apply any of my standard house rules to a game like Marvel Champions, which I think doesn't have a problem because you're drawing so many cards. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there is one common house rule that's used for tapestry, um, <coughs> excuse me, because the tapestry cards can be a little bit swingy. So a lot of people play that with 
draw two, choose one, and put the other one to the bottom. Uh, ultimately, you still might get two bad cards or two good cards, but that, I've seen that used. So no, I don't. I don't have. Well, I probably do. If I really sat down and thought about this, and we had a discussion for hours, um, I, we'd probably know exactly where I draw the line on things. All right. Next question from Scott. Uh, he says, if I happen to get a chance, Horseless Carriage has two rule books. Uh, it's a new game from Splotter. Uh, I believe it's been delivered to backers now-ish. Um, and it comes with two rule books. One of them is a typical Splotter rule book, presumably not very good, because uh, their rule books are not very good. And another, more graphical. Which is the better of the two as a rule book editor? Now, I don't really have that much interest in Horseless Carriage. I'm not going to be getting a copy of it. Um, so I've, I'm not going to have time to go out and start looking at the two different rule books for the game. But I can answer that question very easily. Um, any rule book that is more graphical in nature and contains examples with visual pictures is better than one that has less. Right. It's just it's just a simple thing. Good rule books should have lots of graphical examples with images and arrows and numbers and all of that sort of thing. So, yeah, if there are two rule books, one of them's got more graphics in it. That's clearly the better rule book. Uh, that, that's not really a question. I'm, I'm not sure why they've done two rule books, to be honest, because if they've done one with more graphics and they've done one without, why not just do that one? I, anyway, I don't know. Um, next question. Um, now, Scott is the one who asked a question a couple of months ago about my opinion on AI art in games. Um, and I didn't really know anything about this at the time. And Scott sent me some links to it. And I did. I did have a look into it, but I'm still still not quite sure I understand what this is. Um, and he's actually created a prototype himself. So if you're interested in seeing this, go to the guild on BGG, find the thread where I posted uh, people to ask questions, find Scott's question. You can see on there that he's creating a card game and there's images on, the, on that card game that are AI generated. So I think I need to start a discussion on the Slack channel later on today or tomorrow, because I am interested about this from a a curiosity point of view. I don't know how AI art works. Is it that you say, oh, I want a picture of a building and then some AI system goes off and finds other images of buildings that have been created by other artists? Or is the AI art actually generating the art itself? If it's the former, then I don't approve of using that in board games because that's effectively somebody else's. Um, but if the AI is actually generating the art itself, then yeah, I have I have no problem with that because um, it's not infringing on any copyrights or anything like that. Um, next question from Phil. Chip Theory Games question. Of the games that I have played, which is my favourite and why? So of the ones that I've played, which is Too Many Bones, Cloud Spire, uh, Burn Cycle, and Hoplomarchus Victorum. It's tricky to say which one my favourite is, but, because they're all different, and I like them all for different reasons, I would probably go with Cloudspire. Uh, why? It probably just ticks my boxes a little bit more than some of the other ones. Um, I like the tactical aspect nature of it, and I like the fact that it is very, very deep and it has different factions that work very differently. Then again, you could say that about all of Chip Theory Games games. Burn Cycle, all of the bots work differently. Um, Too Many Bones, all of the, uh, the gear locks work differently. Um, but yeah, I'd lean towards Cloudspire. Uh, UK Games Expo, am I planning to go this year? Absolutely. Um, I, I go to UK Games Expo every year. There's only one year that I didn't go, uh, and it was during the COVID times, but I will be going this year. And in fact, I can announce now 
for the first time in public uh, what my plans are. Um, so I'm actually going to be doing demos for Queen Games this year in the mornings. So from nine o'clock in the morning till one o'clock in the afternoon, I'm going to be demoing Marrakesh at the Queen Games booth. Then I've got the afternoon off uh, and the evenings off as well. So um, yeah, it's basically a chance to meet up with friends and patron supporters. So if you're one of my patron supporters uh, and you want to meet up with me at UK Games Expo, obviously the Slack channel is the best place to discuss that. But if you're not on the Slack channel, then feel free to drop me a message and I can let you know what the plans are. Uh, but yeah, I will be basically spending time with people in the afternoons and the evenings. And if you are going to UK Games Expo, then I would strongly recommend booking a ticket to the live show that I'm doing on the Saturday night. This is a just one live show uh, and all the money is going to charity. So yeah, if you're interested in coming along, coming along to that, you can buy a ticket, all of the money goes to charity uh, and then we're going to be doing a, P a Patreon meetup straight after that. So yeah, I will be going to UK Games Expo this year. And if you're going, pop by uh, and say hello. Uh, next question from Purple Dog. Any plans of going to Aircon this year? No, I don't have any plans to go to Aircon this year. Uh, I had to cut down on the number of conventions that I was attending a few years ago. And unfortunately, Aircon is just a bit far for me to uh, to go to. So yeah, um, no plans to go to Aircon this year. Next, uh, next question from Mike. How often do I play games that I don't enjoy? As a content creator, there must be a lot of times you've learned and played games and halfway through, you've wanted to put it back in the box and never play it again. So this is a really good question. And you might think um, that it, it, it's more than it is. Thankfully, it's not as much as it could be. Um, because ultimately, content creation is my job. It's also It's my hobby, it's my passion. And there's a lot, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a lot of games that I cover on the channel because I want to cover them. So for example, this Friday, I'm going to be doing two playthroughs. None of them are sponsored. They are both games that I want to play. Um, but obviously if a publisher asks me to create a video uh, and they're happy to sponsor that video, that's that's my that's my job. That, that's what I do. Now I do tend to be fairly selective of games. I, I try to have a good look at them beforehand so that I'm only covering the ones which <coughs> I think would fit for the channel uh, and also ones which I would personally like. And I do turn down quite a lot of offers of playthroughs. But saying that, there are some that slip through the net because I, I, I didn't look into them as much beforehand uh, or some of them might be from existing regular clients who I do lots of videos for. Uh, many many of their games I like, but then they send me one and I go, well, I've I've done I've done your five other previous games, so yes, I'll do this one as well. And it turns out that that one isn't one that I really like. So it does happen. I would probably guess at somewhere between five and ten percent of the time, which is is great. You know, if if half of the games I was covering I didn't enjoy playing, then I'm doing something wrong. But it, it's actually a fairly small fairly small percentage. Uh, next question from Mike. Have I ever gone through an extended period of time where I've, I have where I have enjoyed games less? No. Uh, thankfully, my passion and my uh, excitement over playing games hasn't waned at all. Um, yeah, forever. So, yeah, I, I yeah, not not gone down at all. Uh, next question from Mike. And this is another good question. And I'm curious to see if anybody else has had the same thing here. But. Uh, he says, has another player, person, reviewer's opinion ever made me question my own opinion of a game? 
So for example, Mike has given the example that recently he discovered a podcast where they reviewed Imperium Classics and Imperium Legends. Now, this is a game that he was enjoying. He'd played it solo 15 times, but when he listened to this podcast, they spoke about the mechanisms of the game and ultimately felt that they didn't really know what they were supposed to be doing during the game. And it made him think and reevaluate his own opinion of the game in a good way to see whether the game was actually worth playing anymore. So I don't think that another person's opinion has completely altered my opinion of the game, but I do listen to other people's opinions because they might point things out which I never actually considered. So for example, if, if we've got a game and I'm playing it and I really enjoyed this game, and then somebody else comes along and says, oh no, we didn't enjoy the game because it's it's broken. And, I, or, and I'm like, well, what, why? And they say, oh, well, it, it's broken because if you do this, this, and this, uh, then you can just win and the game isn't balanced and, and whatever. And I will listen to that. And it, it's probably the fact that I, I never noticed that at first. Um, and when I go back and I look at it again, it, it might open my eyes to things. So yeah, I don't think another person's opinion is gonna change my opinion of the game. But I am curious to see when somebody has a particular thought on a game, to see if it's something that I hadn't considered. Uh, and if it is something that I haven't considered, then yeah, that that might um, that might alter the way that I then want to approach the game, and I might want to make some changes or something like that. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's answered the question. Next question from James: How many games could I set up and play without having to look at the rules? That's actually a really good question, James. So about 10 years ago, I used to pride myself on the fact that most of the games, well, no, there was dozens and dozens of games in my collection that I would know the rules for absolutely 100%. 10 years on, I've got older, my memory's getting worse. I've got loads and loads more games. It's just not possible. So I'm not sure. And, and now, that, now that I've got the channel and now I'm doing all of the live streams, I cover so many games. How many games could I set up, teach and play without looking at the rule book. To be honest, it's probably not many. Um, through the ages, I could do that from memory. I know that game absolutely like the back of my hand. Uh, Frostpunk, I, I know that game like the back of my hand. I could I could, <laughs> I could easily teach somebody how to play Frostpunk from memory. Um, and, and there's probably a lot of other games as well. Uh, Great Western Trail Argentina, Maracaibo. There's, there's probably I mean, and we're not counting the small games as well. If we if we count things like Lost Cities or Scout or, you know, some other really small filler games like The Crew, I'm just looking up there. Which of those games could I teach um, without looking at the rule book? Yeah, if we include the really small filler games, it might be 30, 40, something like that. If we're talking medium weight Euro games, we're probably talking less than 10. I would have thought at the moment, but there might be some of them, like even Great Western Trail. I might need to just look up how much money the players start with. Is it four, five, six, seven, or something like that? Um, yeah, but yeah, prob probably that many. Next question, uh, also from James. What do I think was the most overused theme in board games in 2022? I don't know. Uh, and what theme would I like to see more of this year? I always get the theme question. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think from my mind, that there was an overused theme of last year? I don't know, maybe, maybe there was. Um, what theme would I like to see more of this year? I'm, 
I, I don't have any thoughts on that really. Um, there isn't a particular theme that I would like to see more of because I'm more about playing the mechanisms of a game rather than the theme of the game. So <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't have any, I'm not able to answer that question because I don't actually have any thoughts whatsoever on that. But if you want to pop onto the Slack or the or the uh, or, or even the Guild, feel free to ask that question there. See what see what other people have, or if you've got any thoughts as well. Was there an overused theme last year? Let me know. Next question from Peter. I mentioned in my January video log that I did not enjoy the solo mode solo mode for Telatum as there was too much to work out for the AI. Yes, exactly right. And I also mentioned it in the video where I did the solo playthrough. Now, Peter is a regular solo gamer and he has given some thought as to why there is even a need to design such an AI. If the AI is so complex and requires so many priority checks, then there becomes no point as you are essentially making decisions on behalf of the AI as much as you are on your own turn. And you practically have to become a human player number two. Uh, then he might as well use the normal rules and play multiplayer two-handed, so no need for solo mode. What do I think? So the first thing is, just to clarify, the solo bot for Tilatum is, is very, very good and it simulates another player. But just to, just to correct Peter on, I think what you're saying is that you're having to make decisions for the AI, but actually you're not. What you're doing is you are following a pre-described set of instructions. You're not making any actual decisions for the bot itself. The decisions that the bot makes are all listed in the rulebook and on the cards and the iconography. For me, it was too complicated for me and I was having to exert more brain power to work out what the bot would do, which meant I didn't have enough mental capacity to even think about what to do on my turn. But you're not making decisions for the bot. So there is actually a big difference between doing that and playing two-handed because you're not actually making any decisions. But there's a big difference here between you making the decisions about what the bot does and following the instructions to work out what the bot does. The second thing is, is there any point for solo modes that are that complex? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. I've got a lot of friends and patron supporters that really like the complex solo modes. They're not for me. I don't like them, uh, but lots of people I know do like them. Um, so there is definitely a need for them, for those players that like that kind of solo mode. But there is also a need for really simple solo modes for people like me. Next question from Paul Richards. You have a game you are desperate to play, but it's best at three players. It is a new game that people are bound to show some interest in. If four, if four players, it will take hours. Would I bring it to a games? If four play, it will. I'm not sure what that means. Um, would you bring it to a games meeting? And how would you tactfully get just two other players when others can see that there's room for a fourth? Oh right. So if you're saying that there is a game that takes four players but it's best at three and you know that it goes on too long at four, how do I um, subtly and tactfully say, no, I'm sorry, you can't play, even though the game clearly takes four players? Is there a gaming etiquette for this? Um, so what I would do, because I have been in that situation, is just be honest. There's no need to lie. There's no need to be subtle. There's no need to be anything like that. If you've got a game, and you're taking it to a games evening and you know you only have two and a half hours before it closes and you've got to go and you're sitting down to play a game that with three people you could just about get it done in two and a half hours but with four people it would take three hours 
and the fourth person wants to join in, you're just going to have to say, I'm really sorry. I know the game takes four, but with four people, we're not going to get it finished in time. And it's simple as that. Um, that's it. Now, the problem comes, and, and I've, I've experienced this myself, or I know other people that have experienced this, is when somebody goes to join a game which takes four people and there's no time limit and they say, no, 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 we want to play this at three for no reason other than they want to play it at three. Now, if you're in your own home, you can do whatever you want. But if you're at a games club and you are a member of a club and there are other people at that club and somebody wants to join in a game that takes four people, by saying no, that's not very nice. Um, I wouldn't do that, but I would only do it if, if there was a time restriction. One more question to go. And then we'll talk about the contest and then we'll go on to the live questions. So question is from Slayer1. What is my favorite game mechanic? And I'm going to change that to mechanism. So what is my favorite game mechanism? Deck building, worker placement, or what? So it's a general question about which is my favorite one. And I don't have a favorite one. I love deck building, but I, 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 I don't like the play all mechanism. So I don't like the uh, the play all mechanism from Dominion, for example. I do like Aeon's End. So any kind of deck building game where you have a hand of cards and you've got to play those cards or you discard them and then you draw new cards, I don't like that. I want choice. So I want Mage Knight or I want Aeon's End, which is here's your hand of cards. You can play some of them. You can keep some of them till next round if you want to, um, or you can discard some of them if you want to. You know, you've got choice with the cards. So I like deck building. I really like deck building as a mechanism. I love worker placement as a mechanism. Uh, I love resource conversion. So any kind of game where there is a space that I can go to that converts one brown cube into two green cubes, I'm all over that. Um, so yeah, I do like resource conversion. I also like um, buying and selling and I like dynamic markets. So that where the, where the price of a good changes uh, based on the supply and demand or some, something like that. There's a lot of different mechanisms that I, I like in games um, and there's a lot of mechanisms that I don't like. He's also asking which do I prefer, competition versus cooperation? And I was actually thinking about this. This is a, an interesting question because um, earlier this afternoon a random thought popped into my head um, because my copy of Hoplomarchus Remastered has arrived today uh, and it got me thinking about conflict in games and why a lot of us enjoy playing games which are about conflict what is it about these games that we enjoy playing you know i don't go out on a saturday night and start beating people up in the high street while dressed as a gladiator but maybe i should maybe that should be a, no no um but would i really enjoy playing a game where i'm a roman gladiator going around and swinging my sword and fighting against beasts and other play yeah i would um and is it because I, I don't know what it is. Is it, you know, I'm not really into that whole psychology stuff or human nature, but as, as gamers, we play a lot of games where there is, there is conflict as in actual fighting. Um, and there is a lot of conflict in other games as well. Uh, even if it's not direct fighting and it, it got me thinking this afternoon. So, and then I saw your question, um, which one do I prefer? Um, I mean, you've said competition versus cooperative games. So at the moment, I'm not sure. I really enjoy cooperative games, um, but I also like competitive games. If I was forced to make a decision, I would probably lean on the side of cooperative games 
just because that's um, a better, sometimes a better experience for me. So for example, if we take a game like Maracaibo, which actually has a competitive mode and a cooperative mode, I would probably prefer the cooperative mode in the game because I like working with somebody on solving some kind of puzzle against the odds that the game is throwing at me. Now, there are certain games which don't have cooperative modes. For example, Great Western Trail, one of my favourite games. Uh, you know, would I play Great Western Trail? Do I enjoy playing Great Western Trail even though it's a competitive game? Yeah, sure. But it's not a game where I'm... So Great Western Trail is a game like many Euro games that I play. Underwater cities, terraforming Mars and all of those where I just try and do stuff. I try and do the best thing that I can. Obviously, the aim of the game is to get more victory points than anybody else, but I'm not I'm not going, oh, right, well, I need to get five more victory points to beat you. Right, how am I going to get five more victory points? No, I'm actually trying to get five more victory points irrespective of what you're trying to do. So in all of those games, I try and do the best that I can, and then when the points are added up, if I've won, great, but it actually doesn't matter to me. Um, you know, you'll, I will try and win the game, but it doesn't matter whether I have won the game or not. Anyway, that's the end of all of the questions that I've been asked on Board Game Geek. So thank you very much to everybody who's asked those questions. And like I said, if you're watching this video back afterwards or you're listening to the podcast of this uh, and you think, well, I can never catch the shows live. How can I ask Paul any questions? The Guild is the best place to do it. So don't start a thread and start asking me questions, but wait until... It's normally about four or five days before the live Q&A. Uh, I will post a thread and say, put all of your questions here. That's the best place to do it. Right, the contest. So each month as part of these uh, live Q&As uh, to celebrate the success of my Patreon campaign, I give away £50 worth of games vouchers to Games Law. Now, £25 worth of those vouchers comes from Games Law themselves. So thank you very much to Games Law for providing that £25 worth of vouchers. And the other £25 comes from me. So if you're watching this live, or if you're watching this video back afterwards, as long as you're watching it before the 15th of February, yeah, which is the next live Q&A, you can enter the contest. All you need to do to enter the contest is click on the link, uh, which is in the show notes of the video, and it's also in there now. And the secret word, and this is where I'm going to do something a bit different, because I'm not going to tell you what the secret word is. The secret word is the name of the game that I am live streaming this Friday afternoon. So there you go. All you need to do is a little bit of detective work. Find out what game I'm live streaming this Friday afternoon, which is the 27th of January. Um, and yeah, that's the secret word. Um, and good luck. One of you could win £50 worth of game vouchers. Now, I did the draw earlier on today for last month's Q&A. So the winner of the December giveaway was Paul Richards. No, not that Paul Richards, the other Paul Richards. So I have two patron supporters called Paul Richards. It does get a little bit confusing, um, but one of them has won £50 worth of game vouchers. And I've, <coughs> excuse me, I've already contacted you. You've already replied. So that's in motion. Uh, yeah, let me know what you, uh, let me know what you get with it. Right. So let's go for the live questions that people have been asking since we've been on. And the first one is from Kit. Um, is there anything we wouldn't do for our cats? I don't think there is. I mean, um, we don't we don't have children. Our cats are basically our family. 
that I don't think there is anything that we wouldn't do for them. Um, now we've had two cats prior to our current cats um, and there was a lot of health issues related to them which caused us a lot of uh, emotional turmoil and everything else. Thankfully, touch wood, Thor and Loki have been generally, I'm touching everything that's wooden, um, they don't have any big ongoing health issues, but occasionally they'll do something like get into a fight, get a scratch, get a cut or something like We We have the usual thing where we have to take them to the vets, but no, I don't think there's anything that we wouldn't do for them because they are, they are our family, really. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, the secret word is for the afternoon game this Friday, not the evening game. Right, next question uh, from Hop. Have I played Obsession? What do I think of it? So Obsession is one of those games that I've not played, that everybody is surprised that I've not played. There's a few games out there that everybody is surprised that I've not played. Obsession, Wingspan, Root. Uh, there's quite a few other ones as well. Let me know in the chat if there are is another game that you know that I've not played that is a game that like everybody has played and I and I haven't. Um, but no, I haven't played Obsession, so I can't give you my own personal opinion on it. But I can tell you what most of my patron supporters think of it uh, and that they really enjoy it. So um, yeah, it seems to be a very popular game and a lot of my patron supporters uh, have played it and have said it's really, really good. Uh, George is asking, am I planning to go to any US-based conventions this year? Unfortunately not, George. I've, um, again, I've had to cut down uh, on the number of conventions that I attend. And whilst I did used to go, I mean, there was a few years where I went to three US conventions a year. In fact, I one year I went to four. Uh, so I did Origins, I've done Gen Con, I did BGG Con, uh, and I did the World Board Gaming Championships as well one year. So yeah, now, unfortunately for me, I have certain health issues when traveling long distances. And every time I traveled to and from America, it wasn't, it wasn't very good for my overall health. So, um, during COVID, when obviously I didn't go away, I used that as a time to reflect and I decided I'm going to stop going to the US conventions, which is a real shame because they are amazing and I absolutely love being at them. But yeah, um, now I'm not going to say never because I did have the opportunity. Uh, there is a publisher that was happy to pay for me to go to Gen Con this year and was happy to pay for flights, hotel, uh, and my time while I was there. Unfortunately, I can't go to that as I, there is a scheduling conflict with uh, a wedding, a certain wedding that um, that I've got to go to uh, this year. <laughs> well, of course I've got to go to it. <laughs> it's my own wedding. I'm getting married uh, the Friday before Gen Con. Um, yeah, so now if they come back to me next year and say, Paul, the offer still stands. We'd like you to come to Gen Con. I would, to be honest, I would probably do it. Um, but I'm not going to be going to the big American conventions every year like I used to do. As I say, it is a shame because I used to really enjoy them. Uh, and obviously I met up with patron supporters there who I don't normally see elsewhere. Uh, other games that people have suggested that I should have played that I haven't, Clank and Everdell. Yeah, definitely. And maybe Sleeping Gods as well. Yeah. Um, next question from Hot. What's the biggest misconception Americans have about Brits? Um... Very good question, actually, uh, that we all live in London. Uh, <laughs> so one of the uh, one of the common questions that I, I, I get asked uh, when I used to go to these American conventions is uh, there's just an assumption that I live in London. And it's like, no, 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 
not everybody uh, lives in London. London is just a city. Uh, and yeah, so that, that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions. Um, I think there's probably another one as well that we're all huge fans of the royal family. Because I think in America, I think a lot of people in America love the royal family. Now, things may have changed with what's been going on over the last few years. But the impression that I got is that, generally speaking, a lot of Americans, you know, loved the royal family and thought Britain was all about the royal family. Um, so maybe everybody in America thinks that if you're British, you're a huge fan of the royal family, um, which some people are not. So, yeah, I think that I think that's probably the biggest misconceptions. Um, Ricky's asking, what game are we playing together next? Well, it depends when you're coming over, Rick. Um, yeah, I mean, our list of games that we want to play together is probably nearing 50. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I don't know what game we're playing next, but we, we've got a lot that we want to play. Next question from Thomas. Um, my first playthrough of Revive seemed to indicate possible imbalances with certain factions. Have I played the game more? And does this still seem to be an issue? Thomas, go and check out the video that I did. When did I do it? Friday. Look, just last Friday, I've, I've done it again. I've covered Revive again on the channel last Friday, and we used an official variant rule for the artifact card. So just to clarify, um, it isn't the fact that there's an imbalance between the faction powers, but one of the issues with Revive, and I'm saying this having played it three times, is that you have a faction that has a particular power. Okay, that's fine. That's common in a lot of games. That isn't the problem. But you also, at the start of the game, you choose four of these end game scoring large cities. And there are 10 to choose from, and you choose four of them at random. Some of those end game scoring cities work better with certain factions than others. So straight away, even when the game, even before you've even started playing the game, during setup, it could be that player one has an ability that matches one of the end game scoring cards, uh, one of the end game scoring cities, and player two has an ability that doesn't match any of them. So straight away, player one is already at an advantage through no choice or thought or anything. But then you add in the artifact cards, and this is where I think the issue comes with Revive. Fantastic game, but I do believe it has a problem in this area. The problem is that every player gets their own artifact card at random, and you could luckily get an artifact card that gives you extra bonus points for doing the thing that you were going to be doing anyway that your faction is really good at, and there is a city that also does that, and that's the problem. One player could get a really good combo trifecta of faction power, city, and artifact card, and another player might get a faction where there is no city and no artifact card that matches what they're doing. And it's not just me that thinks this, a number of other people have reported this as an issue as well. So yeah, the video that I did last Friday used the official variant where there is one artifact card for everybody. It is like an end game scoring card that everybody has to fight for. And it works really well, and I can't see me ever not using that rule moving forward. So yeah, it's the only downside on an utterly fantastic game. I absolutely love everything about that game, but there is this issue. There you go, have you done a quick review of Revive for you? Next question from Brendan. Out of the big games sitting on my shelf shouting at me to play me, and Brendan has, has, has listed them for me, ISS Vanguard, 
Frosthaven, Frostpunk, Oathsworn. Okay, you've missed Hoplomarchus Victorum. If I only had time for one of them, which would I choose? That's a really good question. So out of all of those, ISS Vanguard, Frosthaven, Frostpunk, Oathsworn, Hoplomarchus Victorum, the one that I would probably play out of all of those is ISS Vanguard. Um, and that is because I want to experience the story and the narrative with that game um, more than any of the others. I mean, I want to play all of those games, but ISS Vanguard is probably the one that I want to play the most of. Next question from Andy. What is my Jaffa cake porridge recipe, please? So um, it's very simple. <laughs> it's really, really simple. Um, it's not really a recipe. So every morning I have a bowl of porridge, maybe six times a week, maybe, maybe once a week I will have a break and I'll have something different. But I have porridge every morning. Um, and in that porridge, I have half a banana chopped up and a Jaffa cake. Uh, now the Jaffa cake is not just thrown in the porridge, but the Jaffa cake is sort of broken into small pieces and then put into the porridge and it's mixed up. Now, it might sound crazy, but I did it as a joke. I did it as an experiment. I think somebody made a comment <coughs> once about, oh yeah, why don't you put a Jaffa cake in your porridge? Now the thing is, before I started putting Jaffa cakes in my porridge, I used to have a, a, a teaspoonful of honey and a small block of chocolate. And that's because I've got a little bit of a sweet tooth. Um, so I make the porridge and I used to have a little bit of honey and a tiny little bit of chocolate just to give it a little bit of sweetness. And now I don't have that anymore because the Jaffa cake provides the little bit of chocolate taste, but it also provides that orangey taste uh, and it works really well. So yeah, it's not really a recipe. It is just a bowl of porridge, um, but with the Jaffa cake broken up and mixed in. So yeah, there you go. And I have that, as I say, most mornings. Next question from John. If I could remove one industry trend from the board game business, what would it be? It's a very, very good question, John, and I can answer it quite easily. Um, remove one industry trend from the board game business. It would be overproduced games that cost twice as much as they need to because the publisher has gone overboard with stuff. Now, I'm not saying that I don't like nice components because nice components are always nice. I'm talking about when a game doesn't need all of those extra components. And the problem that we've got at the moment, and I think Kickstarter is partly responsible for it, is we're getting games, some games that are coming out that are 150, 200 pounds to buy a game. And if they just reduced the amount of bling that was in that game, it would be a hundred pounds. And I don't know what's going on. You know, we're supposed to be in sort of, a, a, you know, certainly in the UK and in a lot of other places in the world as well, where we've got a cost of living crisis. We've got all of this stuff. There's lots of trouble going on globally. There's all these problems. And yet games are coming out and they're getting more and more expensive. So, yeah, I would like to see... Uh, a cutting back on the, it's not going to happen right you know i have no influence on this and to be honest that's just the way it is if i've got a game if i let's say i've designed a game and i've decided to set up my own company you know grogan publishing and i've got this game and it's like a fantastic solid worker placement game with really interesting mechanisms 
and it's co-designed by Vlari Shavatol, Isaac Childress, David Turtsy, you know, and I've got all these big games designers. Vittles had some ideas on it as well, and, you know, all of these other games designers, and it's going to be, like, possibly the best game ever. And I go on Kickstarter with it, and it's like a boring board with cardboard counters and everything else, right? Okay, it will do well. Forget all of the extra designers, right? It'll do well. But let's say that I do it with fantastic artwork, over-the-board production, really nice miniatures and all of this lot. And the Kickstarter page is all about bling, bling, here's, here's lots of artwork, here's lots of images, here's loads of videos showing how amazing the miniatures are. It will do a lot better. And that's, that's unfortunately the reality of putting games on Kickstarter. They need to have so much, it needs to look so nice. Otherwise, it won't do very well. And that's and, and we've known this for years and publishers have known this for years and the cycle has continued. And I don't like that cycle. Um, I don't like it when these games are coming out with with all of that in them. In fact, I've got a few. I, I could actually I, I could actually do a whole 20, 30 minute show of things in the industry that I don't like. Uh, let's leave that for another time before I get on my uh, my high horse. But that's certainly one of them. Next question also from John, what would be my go-to advice for making least possible rule mistakes in your first game? Oh, right. Well, there's loads. So obviously you need to read the rule book, uh, watch one of my how to play videos. If, if I've done a how to play video twice, watch a playthrough video, but make sure you, you, you watch a playthrough video from a channel that you trust. What I mean is one that annotates their mistakes. There are a number of channels out there that do playthrough videos and tutorial videos who make mistakes and they don't add annotations. And it really bugs me. Um, so yeah, make sure you pick a channel that does a video and make sure there is annotated notes so that when you watch it, if they make a mistake, you know that they've made a mistake because otherwise you'll pick up those bad habits. Um, there's other things to do as well is sit down and multi-hand it yourself. So actually sit down and practice playing a game yourself, two-handed, playing against each other, play, playing against yourself. Uh, all of those things um, will help you do it. Now, if there is a video available, I would also strongly recommend sending that video to the other players, because I'm a firm believer that it shouldn't be the responsibility of the person who bought the game to go through the process of, of learning it. I mean, that's that's something that most people do, but why? So if you've got three people coming around on Friday and you've just got a new game, it should be a shared responsibility. It shouldn't be just down to you to put in all of that time and effort and then you've got to teach them. Send them the rule book, send them the video. If one of those reads the rule book and turns up, uh, that's great. For example, one of my local friends, Robert Canner. Robert's great because he know, when when we tell him in advance what game we're playing, he will go away and read the rulebook, and then he'll turn up and he already knows mostly how to play the game, if not completely, and that's fantastic. That takes a lot of the pressure off me. Um, so yeah, there's lots of things that you can do. Also, if there is an online implementation of the game on a tabletop simulator, uh, yeah, yeah, get get some friends together and play a game of it on tabletop simulator. <coughs> right, next question from Keith. If I could take a train journey anywhere in Europe playing a board game, 
Hang on a minute, Keith, you said you weren't able to join this live Q&A. <laughs> Thank you for watching. Um, if you could take a train journey anywhere in Europe, playing a board game that mentions a location you go through, what would it be? He'd be happy to take a train from St Pancras to Carcassonne. For me, it would probably have to be Kalos. Because Kalos is a fantastic game. It used to be my favourite game of all time. Um, so... And Kalos is a real place. It, it does exist. Um, so it would probably be that. Yeah, take to get get on a train um, from London, and yeah, get on a train. Well, assuming it goes, assuming there is a train that goes through Kalos, I don't know if there is. <laughs> um, there are other places that I would like to visit that I have board games. I've I've been thinking for years about going to Madeira, uh, and it's somewhere that we talked about because Peter Rushton has recently been to Madeira. Um, and I thought, oh yeah, yeah, quite fancy going to Madeira as well. Um, so there's a few board games that I've got where I actually would like to to, to go to the, to those places, uh, inspired by the board games. Uh, next question: Any recommendations on how to make Tainted Grail more enjoyable? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you say you dislike the, me the the mechanics, the combat system, the men here's. It made you stop playing after five chapters, but the story is so good. So for me, the story was so good. For other people. Uh, have different opinions on that. So there are ways that you can make it more playable. And the first one is that you can say that once a menhir is lit, there is no timer. Okay, literally you light the menhir. So you go through the gathering of resources, you light the menhir and the menhir is lit and it stays lit permanently. You can use that rule if you want to. Uh, it does take away a little bit of the game, but the game that it takes away is the grind. So yeah, you can absolutely do that. The first thing though is use story mode. Story mode is in the back of the rule book. It is an official rule that you can play on story mode. I would strongly recommend playing on story mode because it reduces the cost to light the men here's and it also reduces the tea health bar because uh, one of the big problems with Tainted Grail is the realism of it. Um, we're so used to playing uh, many, many fantasy-based games where you fight monsters and you just recover to full health straight away afterwards. Um, Tainted Grail is a lot more realistic in that respect. So you get into a fight and you've got seven health and you take four wounds, you heal one wound per day and only if you eat food. So, I mean, that's realistic. You know, if you get into a fight, whatever, it's going to take you days to recover. You don't just instantly heal to full at the end of a fight. That's not how real life works. And Tainted Grail goes for that sort of gritty realism. Um, but the problem with the game is that the energy bar is limited by your health, which again is very realistic. And I love that rule from a thematic point of view. The problem with the gameplay is you end up with two or three health. That means you only have two or three energy, which means you don't have enough action points to go hunting for food, which means you don't have enough food, which means you can't heal and you get into this, this cycle. But yeah, there's lots of suggestions that I've got. Definitely play on story mode, lighting the men here's, just make that a permanent thing. Uh, and then hopefully you can enjoy the story. Basically, reduce the grind. You really need to reduce the grind with that game. Hello, Loki. Are you coming up? Is he coming up? Is he hungry again? Where's he gone? Gone. There he is. Come here. Oh, he's being camera shy. Anyway. Um, next question from George. Uh, what are my thoughts on the solo variant trend? Do they make games more appealing to buy? And do I think publishers must include them in all games going forward? Uh, what do I think about the th uh, 
the solo variant trend, I love it. I, I think um, the way that solo gaming has gone in the last five years or so is fantastic. And I, and I want to see this trend continuing. Um, do they make games more appealing to buy? Absolutely. In fact, I know a few people who will only ever buy a game if it has a solo mode. And that is because 90% of the games that they play, they play solo. Uh, and if you're one of those people, you might be you, you might be watching in the chat right now. Um, but yeah, I've got I've got a number of friends that will not buy a game unless it has a solo mode. Uh, and if you look on the solo board gaming Facebook groups and things like that, there's a lot of questions of is this game worth buying just for the solo mode? In other words, people have no intentions of ever playing it multiplayer and they want to know if it's worth buying just for the solo mode. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I love the trend and I'm happy to see the trend continuing. Do I think that publishers must include solo modes? No, no. That is down to the publisher. Uh, and if you're a smart publisher and your game, there is a possibility for a solo mode, then you should absolutely include it. Um, because you will sell more. But what I don't want to see is solo modes being forced into games where there shouldn't be a solo mode. So there's uh, there's a couple of games that I can think of um, where the game has a solo mode and, the so and, and it's not very good and it really doesn't work whatsoever. And that's a game where I don't think it should have had a solo mode. And what the publisher did is they realized the solo gaming hobby is quite big and that if they did a solo mode, it would be more popular and it would sell more. But unfortunately, the solo mode is so bad, anybody who's played it doesn't actually like the solo mode. Um, so yeah, I, I don't force it in if it doesn't fit. Next question uh, from Mads. Is Frosthaven all that it's set out to be? I saw that I made the how to play video. Is it a worthy sequel? Frosthaven is all that it's set out to be and more. Uh, Frosthaven is a better version of Gloomhaven for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that they have made some quality of life improvements to the rule set. Now, those rule changes you can actually use in Gloomhaven. And if I, if I was to ever play Gloomhaven again, uh, I would be using those changes to those rules. Invisibility in doorways, advantages with rolling modifiers, uh, variability on push and pull. There's lots of other small rules changes that just make it a better game. But also the world building in Frosthaven, the fact that you are building up the town, the fact that you have a lot more going on, it makes it feel a lot more immersive and involved um, than Gloomhaven did. So yeah, so Frosthaven is a better game. It is all that it's cracked up to be and everybody who's playing it is loving it. And I'm not, and that makes me sad. Um, and if you want to know how to play Frosthaven, I've done a how to play video. It's a quite a short video. It's only an hour and a half. <laughs> Next question from Andy. What is the most innovative mechanism in a game from the last couple of years? Oh, you're making me think about the last couple of years, Andy. Um, yeah, I, I've, I, I'm going to need time to think about that one. Um, I would have to go back through all of the games that I've played in the last two years and try and think of which is the most innovative mechanism. Because to be honest, I'm not really, I mean, I like when somebody does something new, but I'm more than happy uh, if we talk about Revive. Somebody has said Revive is a great game, but it's nothing new. It's just using things we've already seen before. I don't mind that. Okay. It might be that it's a combination of mechanisms from other games and there might not be anything new and, new and innovative in it. But for me, it felt new and it felt fresh. 
So yeah, I, d I don't know. Um, if you've got any suggestions for me, let me know. Let me know. Innovative mechanisms. In fact, let's let's turn this into a guild question. Let's have this as the second question on the guild. Um, so yeah, the question is from Andy, and it's what are the most innovative mechanisms that you've seen in a game, your favourite innovative mechanisms in the last couple of years? Head on over to the guild in 10, 15 minutes time. That question will be there and let's see what people think because it's the reason why I like to put questions on the guild and get other people's opinions is because otherwise it's down to me to have to remember back for the last two years. Um, and when I read other people's stuff, that makes me think, oh yeah, that one and that one and that one. So yeah, we'll, we'll do that. We'll post the question on the guild uh, and we'll go, go there. And if you want to take part in that conversation, head on over to the guild, join up and you can take part in that conversation. Uh, next question from Andre. Uh, yesterday during unboxing of Hegemony, Hegemony, I spoke about theme in Euro games. Uh, can you tell which Euro is thematic for you? Um, yeah, so thematic Euro games. Oh, I used to be able to name some. I'm trying to think. I always have an answer for this. Whenever I talk about thematic Euro games... Somebody, somebody in the chat, give me some, uh, give me some ideas of thematic Euro games, because it's very easy for me to list non-thematic Euro games. Thematic Euro games, there's there's not that many of them, um, and even even ones that people think, oh, this game is really thematic. I look at it and go, no, it's not. You know, it might be about a certain thing. The setting might be there, but actually, there's no real theme in the game whatsoever. Um, so. Uh, Bitoku is one suggestion from Jonathan from the Hexabeast. No, I don't think Bitoku is thematic at all. Um, I, I don't know, it might be, but I don't understand the theme behind, I don't understand the setting of Bitoku. Um, Ark Nova, I'm not sure. Ark, I mean, there are parts of Ark Nova that are thematic, but not much of it, okay? So in Ark Nova, you have to build an enclosure and then you put animals in that enclosure and certain animals are a certain size and they need to be housed in large enclosures. Okay, that, that's a thematic rule. And th so there is a lot of, there, there's a lots of bits of Ark Nova that, that is thematic. The fact that if you have a partnership with a particular country, you get a discount on buying animals. Yeah, but there's a lot of Ark Nova which isn't thematic as well. There's a lot of Ark Nova that is purely there just for the mechanisms. Um, Trakirian. There, there are definitely parts of Trickerian which are, which are thematic as well. Era Frankenstein, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that one. Um, Lisboa, there again, Lisboa. There's a lot of theme in Lisboa, but there is also a lot of mechanisms in Lisboa that are just mechanisms. Um, vindication, vindication is an interesting one because vindication. Uh, and if you're interested in this, I've actually done a review. I don't do review videos anymore, but I did do a review video of Vindication. Go and check it out because I do a whole section in that video where I talk about I talk about theme and whether there is theme in the game or not. And Vindication's an easy one. Um, I mean, there's a lot of Euro games uh, where there is some thematic elements, right? I'm not saying that um, there's a lot of Euro games which have no theme whatsoever. There are some. There are there are some Euro games. Newton, uh, for example, fantastic game. I love Newton. I, it has zero theme, absolutely none whatsoever. It's 
purely mechanical. You could take away the theme of the game or the setting of the game, replace it with something else and nothing would change. Absolutely nothing would change. Um, so Newton, fantastic Euro game, absolutely no theme whatsoever. Um, yeah, somebody's saying Obsession, but I haven't tried it. I've heard that there's quite a lot of theme in Obsession. Uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak. So I'm not sure. I mean, there is some theme in Lost Ruins of Arnak. There is definitely some theme. The fact that you have to use uh, certain icons to get to certain locations and you have to explore them and you have to spend compasses to explore. There's, there's a lot of thematic things in Lost Ruins of Arnak. And one thing that I do like about Lost Ruins of Arnak is although most of the item cards that you have in the game are, are they just, it's a, it's a list of icons. What does this card do? Oh, this card gets you one of them, one of them, and allows you to do this. But they are kind of thematic in a bit of a way. Uh, anyway, right. So yes, theme in Euro games. I could talk about this for ages. Um, Zod has got a question. If I completed a campaign game, am I done with the game? Do I never play it again or cull it? Well, Tainted Grail. You know, we've completed Tainted Grail. We, we completed the campaign of Tainted Grail. Would we play it again? No. And the reason we wouldn't play it again is we have three other campaigns for Tainted Grail to play. And then there's the new campaign coming out later this year. So, you know, the only reason we wouldn't play it again... Well, no, there's another reason as well. Um, if we were to play the, the Tainted Grail campaign again, there would be some new stuff that we didn't do before, but there would also be some stuff that we did do before. And when you're going through something and you're like, well, hang on a minute, we, we've done this. We're now going to go through and do it again. And in, in most board games, that's fine because, you know, you're doing the same thing every time you play it. But in a story-driven game, I don't kind of want to experience that story a second time, depending on the game. You know, if it's like the campaign for Maracaibo, for example, then I'll, I'm more than happily play through that again. If it's the campaign for Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-earth, I'll happily play that again. But if if 80% of my enjoyment in the game is from the story, then I'm unlikely to want to play it again. Pandemic Legacy Season 1, I, I, I don't ever want to play that again um, because I've done it and I don't... Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I've not really played Season 2 or Season 0. So... Um, yeah, I, I probably wouldn't play it again. I, again, there's just so many games and we just don't have enough time to play them. Do I feel the board gaming hobby is still growing, says Baz. Yes, and thank you very much for your recent patron support, Baz. Um, yeah, I, I think the board gaming hobby is still growing. It's probably not growing as much as it was a few years ago. I don't know, but that's just a complete guess. I actually don't have any facts or figures or anything like that. Uh, all we've got is attendance figures for conventions such as UK Games Expo which of course has been affected for the last few years by Covid so um, yeah I don't know I mean is the sales of board games going up um, that's probably the direct um, factor uh, that's probably the the stat which is the one to look at to see whether the board gaming hobby is growing <coughs> but yeah I think it is still growing I don't think it's shrinking uh, next question where did Batman Gotham City Chronicles rank for me I don't know actually um, I, yeah, because when I ranked my entire collection, oh, wait a minute, I don't even remember that coming up. Right, we're just going to take a short break while I check, my, because 
it's got to be in my collection right it has to be but i don't remember it ever showing up batman gotham city chronicles 2019 it is showing as owned in my collection so i don't know where it came in my ranking um yeah i don't know um if you're a patron supporter of mine there is a list on my slack channel of the final rankings i don't quite know where it is at the moment but i don't know where that came uh to be honest I wouldn't have thought it would be that high because whilst I do enjoy playing the game, there's a lot of other games which I would prefer to play instead of that one. And that isn't due to any fault with the game. It's just, you know, it's dice for resolution uh, and it's not, it's, it's not my kind of game compared to a lot of the other games that I own. Um, next question from Kit. Do you think we will start to see more pledge levels that are light, i.e. don't have the unnecessary minis, tokens, etc.? I don't think we're going to um in fact there's been uh, what was it gloomhaven so um gloom uh, gloomhaven when it came out when it was on kickstarter i think there was a version that you could buy that had standees for the character miniatures instead of the miniatures i think correct me if i'm wrong on this and unfortunately, so few people bought that version that it actually cost them more money to handle the two different versions. So from a, from a consumer's point of view, you want choice, you want options, you want this, you want everything, right? But from a publisher's point of view and a company and who's producing the game, you want the least number of options possible because the more options you've got, the, uh, the, the chance of something going wrong is exponential um and if you've got multiple different versions it can lead to that that kind of issue so i actually don't think we are going to get uh more pledge levels that are light if anybody knows of any uh kickstarters in the last year or two that have offered a light version of the game without the miniatures let me know because i don't think there's been that many um and i'm, I'm i might be wrong on this now the way that frostpunk did it Frostpunk did the miniatures as an add-on extra. So you could say that Frostpunk did do that. The miniatures are there. They are pure bling. They are not needed for the game. They don't add anything to the gameplay whatsoever, apart from they make it look nice. But the base game was not advertised as light. The miniatures was an add-on expansion rather than it being, look, here's the base game. But if you can't afford that, here's a lighter version of the game. It's effectively the same thing, but it's marketed in a, in a, in a different way. Um, right. Uh, we've only got one more question left. I think, I think we've got one more question left. Oh no, there's a page break. No, no, no. The page break is yeah. Okay. So we've got one more question left. Uh, and this is from George. What are my thoughts on minis specifically not offering them as a separate option? Are they redundant? And are they only there to inflate price and raise hype with content created? So this is similar to what I talked about earlier on uh, when I answered John's question about what trend in the board game industry do I not like? Uh, and that is the fact that more and more games are having more and more minis getting bigger and bigger and just... <laughs> um, and yeah, they do inflate the price. They do raise hype with content creators. They do work. And as I've mentioned earlier on, 
if you're going to go on Kickstarter and you don't have amazing artwork or amazing miniatures, you're just not going to do as well. I think that's just the reality of the situation. People like gorgeous minis and you want to get them nicely painted and you want to show lots of pictures of them. Um, so yeah, my thoughts on minis. They look really nice. Okay, now I, I am a consumer and I am a gamer and I also like pretty things. So yes, miniatures on a table do look nice. I, I admit that. Um, but I I don't like it when the miniatures are making a game more expensive when the miniatures are not needed. That's that's the bit that I don't like. Right, let's just have a quick quick break. Quick mention of the contest again. And before I mention the contest, I haven't said this yet, but I wanted to say a big thank you to all of my patron supporters for funding the channel. Uh, for those people who are watching this who uh, are one of my patron supporters, a big thank you. Your support basically keeps the channel going. If you're not one of my patron supporters uh, and you are in a position to be able to support me on Patreon, then that would be very much appreciated. Uh, a lot of the content that I create is not sponsored. For example, this video today, not sponsored. Uh, yesterday's video, sure, it was only an unboxing. Um, I'm taking Friday off work and I've got two videos that I'm bringing you. Uh, one of them, I'm not going to tell you what it is, uh, but we are playing Atiwa in the afternoon. Um, and again, they're not sponsored. So all of all of those videos that I'm making are all funded through Patreon. And if you're a Patreon supporter, you also get access to a lot of behind the scenes videos. For example, in the next few weeks, there's going to be a behind the scenes video of me learning how to play Hegemony because I don't know how to play it and I'm going to be learning how to play it. So I'm probably going to do a behind the scenes video where I literally set up the game and spend an entire afternoon learning how to play it um, and, and things like that. So yeah, big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for funding the channel. We did a Patreon drive at the end of last year to try and get to 900 Patreon supporters and we did. We achieved 900 Patreon supporters. So yeah, huge thank you to everybody who's come on board in the last month. Um, but yeah, Patreon support is, is, is fantastic. Um, and let's mention the contest. So again, if you're watching this any time before the 15th of February 2023, you can enter the contest. The link is going to be going in the chat soon. <laughs> is there, is it? Oh, the link's in the contest. Yeah, so the link to the contest is in the chat and it's in the description of the video. And the secret word that you need to get the question right is the game that I am covering this Friday afternoon. So every so often, every few months, uh, I do what's called the Cult of the Old series because there's a lot of content creators uh, in, in the hobby, in the industry, who only cover new games. And I understand why, because they've got so many games coming in all of the time and they don't have time to cover old ones. I like to go back to some older games and cover them. Um, and we're going back 23 years, I think, this Friday. So we're going to be covering an old game which I've had for the last 23 years that I think is an absolutely fantastic game. Uh, my patron supporters voted. I gave them, I think, four or five games to vote on, uh, to choose from, and they voted on this one. And the name of the game that we're covering on Friday afternoon is the secret word for the contest. £50 worth of games vouchers from Games Law. Don't worry, if you're not in the UK, you can still win because the £50 should, be able, should allow you to buy a game with shipping and everything else. Um, and a big thank you to uh, Games Law for contributing £25 of that, and I contribute the other £25 myself. Right, so um, let's wrap up with some final questions. So no more questions for now, and I will just answer the last couple that we've had. Um, and this is from Frederick. What am I? Th what is my absolute dream stream? 
Don't hold back. Hmm? I, I didn't hear you. Okay. Um, I don't know, to be honest. There's so many games right now. I would love to play ISS Vanguard. I'd love to stream that. I'd love to do more Mage Knight. I'd love to do more Frostpunk. I'd love to do more Cloudspire, Too Many Bones, Hopper Marcus Victorum. I don't have a particular one game that I'd like to do a dream stream of. Um, I just have lots of games that I want to cover at the moment. So, yeah, I can't think about that. I mean, it would be fun to do a big, epic, four-player Mage Knight full conquest. It would take about eight hours. But I don't know whether that would be my dream stream. I don't know if I have a dream stream. I've just got lots of lots of small little dreams. Uh, and the final question from Edward. Thoughts on Disney Lorcana? Think I'll be diving into it. This is a really easy question for me to answer. I have precisely zero interest in Disney Lorcana. Um, for a couple of reasons. The first one is I already have enough card games. And I don't play them enough. I have Marvel Champions, which I think is amazing, and I don't play it enough. I have Arkham Horror card game, which I have, and I think is amazing, and I don't play it enough. Uh, Netrunner, uh, I think is amazing, and I don't play it at all. So, yeah, I, ha I have no interest in diving into Disney Lorcana purely from a... I don't, I don't have time to play it, uh, but also I'm not really a Disney fan. I'm not really a Disney person. Um... You know, obviously I like Marvel and I like Star Wars, which are owned by Disney. Um, but if we're talking actual Disney cartoons and stuff, no, that's that's not really my thing. Um, yeah, it's interesting that they've, uh, they're doing it and I, I have my own thoughts on it. I don't know whether it's just going to be a cash grab. I don't know whether the game's going to be any good or not, but it's going to sell millions and it's going to make them millions. Um, and that's probably why they're doing it. So it'll be interesting to see if there is actually a good game in there uh, or not. Right, I think we're all done. So yeah, let's just wrap things up by saying thank you very much to everybody for watching. If you're watching this live or if you're watching this back afterwards, thank you very much. Thank you very much to Vicky for moderating the chat and answering all the questions. Thank you very much to Chrissy for turning the couple of questions that we've had um, into questions on the guild. And as I say, if you want to join in with that guild discussion, feel free. And we've also got a few extra things that I want to talk about uh, over the next few days on the Slack channel. Um, if people can prompt me, because I'm, I'm going to forget what they are. We'll be back next month. <coughs> and remember, I'm moving things around. So the next Q&A will be on Wednesday, the 15th of February. Five o'clock, should be back to normal time. Uh, other than that, I will see you on Friday for two live streams. One in the afternoon, that I'm not going to tell you what game it is for. Uh, and then we're going to be doing Atiwa on Friday afternoon. Uh, sorry, Friday evening. So something on Friday afternoon. And then we're going back to Attiwa on Friday evening. I also have the Frostpunk How to Play video. Uh, and I am hoping to get that released for Patreon supporters by the end of this week. And then hopefully that will be made public next week. So yeah, I've got the Frostpunk video, which is imminent. I'm probably going to be working on that tonight. Um, but yeah, for now, thank you very much for watching. Give the video a thumbs up. Leave me a comment if you're watching this back afterwards. Good luck at entering the contest. Take care. Until next time. Bye bye.